see very uh, several visitors with us this morning, and we want you to feel right at home. We're glad that you're here, and we want you to feel at home. You only get one opportunity to visit here, because if you come again, we'll just count you like family. And so thank you for coming and being with us today. I mentioned just a few minutes ago about Greg being hungry, and I know that Church of God ladies know how to take care of that problem. And so here's what I'd like to do this week, if there's any way possible for us to do this. I would like for you, if you'd like to provide a meal for Greg and Marlo's daughter um, uh, this week, just contact Erlene. She has all the information uh, in terms of address and phone number and all that kind of thing. And if you'll just contact her and let her know what you can do and the day of the week that you might be able to best uh, provide. Now, if you can't cook or if you don't feel like that you're cooking, uh, that you have time for it or anything, I almost said if your cooking's not good enough. <laughs> but I don't know, in talking, talking to Greg yesterday, I think anything would do. He, he said, I'm tired and hungry. So uh, if you'd rather provide a gift card, you could do something like that. But do keep in mind that he's doing a lot of traveling. He's working all day. Uh, he's, he's going to the hospital and spending time with his wife. So to have to go out again might be a little more difficult. So if you could just provide something and maybe take it to his doorstep this week, we can call and find out what the delivery times would be best. But this is one way that we, can, um, that we can help one of our loved ones and minister to them. So just contact Erlene. Um, you can either do it after church today, or if you would prefer, you can call her in the morning. She'll be in the office. Um, what time? 8.30, 9 o'clock? Okay, that'll, that'll work. 8.30, 9 o'clock, just give her a call and she'll be able to talk to you. Amen. Praise the Lord. I want you to pray for me this morning that uh, I'm feeling fine, but my voice uh, is springtime frustrated, is what it is. It's the up and down temperatures and the and whatever, the mold and the ragweed and whatever in the world it is, it's just welcome to Kentucky time. You know what I'm saying? I sat on my couch the other day. And I was drinking my coffee and looking outside. It was early in the morning and it started out sunshiny. And I thought, man, what a beautiful day this is going to be. Just a few minutes later, it was raining. And I thought, what a terrible day this is going to be. <clears throat> and then it started sleeting. And I thought, I'm living in a weird reality right now. And just a few minutes later, it started snowing. And I thought... <laughs> I don't know, Jesus must be coming back soon. And then the snow stopped and the sun came back. And I said, see there, faith does always overcome. Bad news was it didn't stay that way very long. So it's just that time of the season when weather changes and you can get anything within just a few minutes. Uh, I know the weather uh, people said that it's going to get 68 and sunshiny today. They're going to have to prove themselves to me today. Uh, because they've missed it a few times of late. <clears throat> but at any rate, I said all that to say this. My voice is just struggling a little bit this morning. I came early and talked to Dr. Bill up front and uh, asked him to give me plenty of uh, heat in the monitor so that I could hear myself. And so he's doing a great job. And I can hear myself today out of both ears. And so, you know, I, you don't know this, but this monitor is separate from this monitor. So this monitor can actually be louder than this monitor. And, and you know, that can play with your mind and make you feel like you're off balance if they're not the same. But he's got it just where it needs to be right now. And so I'm grateful for Bill. You don't always see Bill and the guys and the gals that are up front. Uh, but they do a wonderful job keeping us on track with the media and the sound and the computers and all that. Give them a good hand this morning. Amen. So anyway, pray for me that my voice will be strong enough to provide an effective message today. And I believe that God's going to help me, don't you? I have a mint in my pocket for later. Someone came up to me, Joyce did, and she said, Pastor, do you need a mint? 
And I told her, I said, I learned years ago that if anybody ever approaches you and asks you if you want a mint, you should take it. Because there's a good possibility that you need it. So I didn't want to take it just yet, but I have it for after church. So I'll take it before I start talking to you. Amen. Well, last week we started a series of messages entitled The Good News About Christ. You know, sometimes the church has to deal with issues that are not always as positive as we would like for it to be. Some churches never deal with anything that's negative at all. Everything's positive. But how many of you know that in the ebb and flow of life, there are good days and that there are bad days? There are good things and there are bad things that we have to learn to accept. Last week, we started talking about this idea of the good news about Christ, and we talked about how that he was sinless. He was tempted in all ways, like as we are, and yet he never committed a sin. In fact, he challenged the people around him to try to find something that he did that was, that was out of character or that was sin. And no one ever could. And because Jesus lived his life sinless, then he was the perfect individual to die for our sins. Now today, we want to talk about his death and what his death means to us. Now, you don't have to say a lot to have a powerful message. In fact, just a few words. You can say something that will stand the test of time. I'm saying this because the passage of Scripture today is a very short passage of Scripture, but it is packed with power. It is packed with influence. And we're going to look at a very short and simple passage of Scripture. And if you want to go ahead and turn there, you can do that. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. But consider some things that have been said through the years that have stood the test of time. Martin Luther King Jr. said, I have a dream. We will live in a nation where we will not be judged by the color of our skin, but by the content of our character. John F. Kennedy said, Ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. Franklin Roosevelt said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Abraham Lincoln said, the government is of the people and by the people and for the people, and it shall not perish from this earth. Ronald Reagan said, Mr. Gorbachev, Tear down this wall. Michelle Obama said, when we go low, they, when they go low, we go high. And our very own Muhammad Ali said, don't count the days, make the days count. I mean, these are some powerful statements, and they're very short, but they have a lot of power and influence when we listen to the words and so it is not the quality of what is said, not the quantity that counts. It is the quality of what is said, not the quantity that counts. So few words, powerful message. Now today we're going to talk about the death of Christ. Death is inevitable. How many of you know that? You know we're all going to die one of these days, right? Hopefully it won't be today, but you know if this is the day that God has for us, then we will go gladly into his presence. He already knows the number of days that have been decided for us. But we want to talk about how that death is inevitable for all of us, but his death was different than our death. Because his death made a difference in our lives that is beyond compare. Now, he was crucified. We talk about that a lot. Crucifixion in the day of Christ was not unusual. In fact, records tell us that over 30,000 Jews were crucified by the Romans. But they all died for their sins. They all died for the things that they had done. Jesus did not die for what he had done, but Jesus died for what he was going to do 
for us. His death was for us and not for himself. <clears throat> so let's look at this today and break down the death of Jesus Christ and what Scripture has to say about it. So if you have your Bibles open, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, let's look at the first phrase. It says, For Christ also suffered once for our sins. <clears throat> now what does that mean for me? Well, first of all, it means that Jesus is my permanent sacrifice. I want you to notice that word once because it's a very important word. Jesus, when he died once, it never needed to be done again because what he did was powerful enough to wrap up all the sin of this earth, all that had already been committed, what would be committed, the future sins of this world. Jesus died for all of that. He didn't die as a martyr, church. He didn't die so that we would have an example to look at. He died as a sacrifice for you and me. He died so that we would not have to pay the price for our sin. He died in our place. He died in our stead. And yes, one day we will die, but it will not be for the payment of sin because you or I cannot pay the price for the sin of this world. Only Jesus could do that. We used to sing a song years ago that says, Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. I'm here to tell you today, there are over 4,200 different belief systems in the world today, but only Jesus is the one that matters. Amen? So Jesus died for us. Now the Greek word here is the, for the word once is the word hapix. H-A-P-A-X. <coughs> and it literally means once and for all, never to be repeated again. Now, I've done some things in my life that I was glad that I never did it again. There are some things that I've done and it was okay for the moment, but then I thought, I hope I never have to do that again. For instance, I ate kimchi a few years ago when I was in Ecuador. And, and it's this uh, cabbage that they put underground, and it's a delicacy there in Ecuador. It's hot. I mean, it's blazing hot, and it's just, it's, it's, it's rotten cabbage is what it is. And they told me, they said, while you're here in Ecuador, you've got to try this delicacy called kimchi. And I put it in my mouth, and it was so hot, it cauterized my tongue. I couldn't taste anything or feel anything for the for the rest of the day it was just it was horrible and anytime they ever asked me again if I wanted some of that I say you got to be kidding me why would anybody eat that twice there's not a way in the world that I'm going to do that so if you ever get the chance to eat authentic Ecuadorian kimchi please take a pass on it because it is not worth the price that you're going to pay. We've all done things that we've said, I don't ever care if I do that again. I don't ever want to do that. But that's different than what Jesus did because Jesus died for our sin. And it wasn't because he didn't want to have to do it again. It's because it simply would not do any more than what he had already done. He died once for all of us. Now you have to put your shoe, yourselves in the shoes of the Jews. They, they didn't understand this concept of Jesus coming and dying once because they lived in a system whereby they had to sacrifice on a regular basis. Now I don't know about you, but I'm glad that we don't live like they lived in those days according to the law. Because if we did, every time we came to the house of God, we'd have to bring a lamb with us so that the priest would slaughter that lamb as a sacrifice for our sins. They were accustomed to sacrifice. They were accustomed to a very bloody worship, worship experience. That's what they had known. And so when Jesus came and said, when I die upon this cross and it is finished, they could not understand that because they were accustomed to the sacrifice. 
And that's been passed on even through the years there. It's hard for them to understand that Jesus Christ died once for the sin of the entire world. We don't have to sacrifice like that because he died the death of all deaths because he permanently took care of the sin problem. Let me tell you something. Sometimes it's us that keeps the sin and the memory of sin alive in our lives because we can't let go of it. We can remember what we did in 1975 that was inappropriate and and was sinful. We can remember what we did last week. We can remember the attitude that we had even driving to church this morning. Maybe some of you got in an argument with your spouse or with your kids or whatever on the way to church and you can remember that. But let me remind you that when Jesus died for the sins of this world, he did it once. And when you accepted Christ as your Savior, you are forgiven past, present, and future. And the Bible says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So let me just say to you today, let it go. Let it go into uh, the realm of the never world and remember that Jesus Christ has paid the price for your sins. One of the last things that Jesus said when he was hanging on the cross is it is finished. And what that literally means is the price has been paid in full. I'm glad that the price has been paid. I don't have to pay half of it and he pay half of it. I didn't get a 60% sale like you can get sometimes at Dillard's. No, the price has been paid once and for all. Can you say amen to that? Now, in the days of Jesus, if a man was put in a Roman prison for a crime against the state, they would put him in his cell, and outside on the door, they would put a piece of paper. They would post it, what he had done. (coughs) He was driving 55 in a 35-mile-per-hour zone, or whatever it was. They would put it on the outside. And then, for the guard's sake, they would put how long he would have to serve for that sin. If it was three days or three months or three years, whatever it was. So all the information was there for everybody to see when they came by. But when the price had been paid, they would mark it out and they would write on that sheet of paper that said, paid in full. And then they would give it to the prisoner as they were being released. And as the prisoner was leaving, they could hand it to the main magistrate. And when they saw that piece of paper that said paid in full, they allowed them to walk out of that jail into their freedom and never have those crimes held against them again. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for you. He has given you a sheet of paper, as it were, that declares that this individual is saved. They are free. They are paid in full for the sins of their life. They don't have to pay anything. They can walk out of this grave, if you will, into the freedom that has been provided them by Christ Jesus. Amen. We sing a song, and Grant always sings the solo. And I love it when he says, I walked out of that grave. Amen. Some of you just need to step out of your grave of condemnation and step out of your grave of sin and step out of where you've lived in the past and step out into freedom and know that you have been set free by the power of Christ because he died for us. We are free today. And the Bible says he who the Son has set free is free indeed. Amen. I have the deed to my salvation. I can show the devil that I have been set free by Jesus Christ and his death at Calvary. Amen. Now when the Jewish priests were taking all these sacrifices, they moved all day long. They kept sacrificing until the last sacrifice came before them. They didn't sit down. They didn't rest. They didn't wait because the sins of the people was upon their process. 
They were slaying lambs like nobody's business for the sacrifice. They didn't have time to rest because the sin of the people was great. But I want you to notice what Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12 says about Jesus. It says, but when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Listen, I want you to know that if, if Jesus could ascend into the heavenlies and sit down at the right hand of the Father where he live, ever lives to make intercession for you, then it means that he's already paid the price for sin. There's nothing else that can do. All he does now is sit at the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf and protecting you and directing your path and, 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 and bringing you closer uh, to his Father. Aren't you thankful that Jesus died for our sins? The second thing that we have to understand is that Jesus is the perfect substitute. I want you to notice the second phrase in verse 18. Look at it. <clears throat> it says, For Christ also suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Do you see those words? The righteous for the unrighteous. What it means is, is that Jesus, even though he was in a human body, was in a state of pure righteousness. And because he was purely righteous, he could substitute himself for the unrighteous. Did you know that you were in the Bible? Are you aware of that? You know, I know that there are, you know, there are some jokes that go wrong with that. You go along with that and it's like, you know, it, it, it's okay to smoke because, you know, the Bible says that he lit off his camel. There are others that, you know, you know that, I, that I could give you today, but I'll just stop with that one. But you know, Jesus was the righteous and we're the unrighteous. It's almost as though you could, you could insert your name where it says unrighteous. So if I'm reading that to myself, I might read it like this. The righteous died for Rob Baker. You could put your name in where unrighteous says, and it would not do any uh, disjustice to the scripture. It would be the truth, because Jesus, the righteous one, died for we, the unrighteous ones. He substituted himself. In other words, he traded places for us. <clears throat> Let me tell you something that you might not want to hear, but it's true. You are guilty and responsible for your sins. You were born into sin. Technically, you deserve to die a sinner's death. I deserve to die a sinner's death. But Jesus did not want for us to die a sinner's death. In fact, Jesus said, I have come so that they might have life and that they might have it more abundant. Listen, God didn't call us to death. Jesus didn't, doesn't want us to live in death, which is the payment for sin. Instead, Jesus said, I'll take all of that upon my own shoulders and I will die for every sinner that has ever lived or that will ever live in the future. He took it all upon himself. We don't have to die because of what Jesus did. Now, we'll die physically. We don't need these bodies for eternity. I don't know if you know this or not, but your body is going to die. It's going to go back to the ground from which it came. But when you ascend into the presence of Jesus Christ, he is going to give you a new body and you are going to be able to spend eternity without ever being sick, without ever being discouraged, without ever being depressed, without ever worrying about cancer or diabetes or anything else, because you are going to be living in a paradise where none of those things exist. But as long as we're here, we have to face this issue of death. Now, the reason that we all die is because we were born into sin. We have Adam and Eve to thank for that. Because of one man's sin, death came into the world. But I'm thankful that because of one's sacrifice, Jesus, we all have eternal life. Now listen, what eventually kills us all 
in the end will not be cancer. Cancer can't kill you. Aging cannot kill you. Heart disease cannot kill you. Diabetes will not kill you. It may cause this body to stop functioning, but when this body stops functioning, your soul is going to exit that body and you are going to be in the presence of the Lord. And you will be cancer free. You will be diabetes free. You will be free from any other sickness that I could mention today because God will not allow us to enter into his paradise sick in a frail body he will leave that body on this earth to go back to where it came from and we will be glorified by him. Aren't you glad about that? Aren't you glad about that? <clears throat> Listen, before Adam and Eve sinned, death was impossible. But since they sinned, death is inevitable. In other words, we will all die. Let me just speak to you young people for just a moment. You know, I know that you might be thinking, well, I'm young and I've got a lot of years ahead of me and so I'm not real worried about making a strong commitment to Christ at this point in my life because I have a lot of years that I can live, but that's not necessarily so. Young people die as well. You don't have to be old to die. I think one of the most impactful things that ever happened in my ministry when, I was, when Donna and I were serving as youth pastors at a church in Texas. And while we were there, we had a group of kids that came to the church and were part of the youth group. And there was one young lady that had been there for quite some time, but she got mixed up with the wrong group of people. She'd come to church. She was a good girl. She had experienced the Lord in her life. But then she got in with the wrong group of people. And she stopped coming to church. She stopped confessing Jesus as her Lord. She started doing things that she should not have done. She started putting things in her body that she should have not put in her body. She thought, I'm young and I have a lot of life to live. And I don't have to live like a Christian lives while I'm still young. And one day, while she was leaving her high school, she pulled out in front of an oncoming car that sideswiped her and killed her instantly. And she died in that state. Now, I'm not her judge. I can't judge whether she's in heaven or not. But we judge by the fruit of our lives. But I want you to know that that girl, when she went to school that morning, never thought that this will be the last day that I will ever live, but it was. So I'm not trying to make anyone afraid or scare anyone today, but listen, I want you to know that tomorrow is not promised to you. In fact, this afternoon is not promised to you. I remind you, and I say this respectfully, that two weeks ago on a Sunday morning, Marlo Dedman was in church with us. And it was that afternoon that she had this health episode that took place. Just a couple of weeks prior to that, Debbie Whitehouse sat right there in that chair in the middle. And she went home that week. And she went home that week. Never stepped foot in this church again. Now please understand, I am not being disrespectful Debbie Whitehouse, is in, she's having the time of her life because her faith has been realized in the presence of Jesus Christ. Marlo is being healed by the hand of God. And I believe we're going to have a wonderful testimony just like Denise's testimony of what the divine healer is able to do. But I want you to know today that tomorrow is not promised you. And so if you're debating whether or not you should serve the Lord and accept him as your savior and let him forgive you of your sins, let me let you know that today would be a wonderful day for you to do that and accept the salvation of the Lord because it's free and he will give it to you freely. The wages of sin is death. 
Now let's think about this for a minute. Jesus was sinless. <coughs> and since sin is the only cause of death, he shouldn't have died at all because he was sinless. There's no reason for him to die for his own sins because he was sinless. So then why did he die? He died for you. And he died for me. Listen, if death results from sin, and Jesus never sinned, the only explanation for his death is that he died on our behalf. He died in our place. He died for our sins. In other words, he was our substitute. Jared, if you will, put that up on the screen. I think that's a virtual amen that they need to say. see. Let me, let me read it to you again. If death results from sin and Jesus never sinned, the only explanation for his death is that he died on our behalf, in our place, and for our sins, and he was our substitute. Aren't you glad that he substituted himself? So that we would not have to die. Now in those days, lambs were offered on a regular basis. One, one historian said that there were something like 350,000 million lambs that were slain throughout the history of Israel in the early days. And think about this, the lambs that were in the flock of the shepherds they weren't there so that they could be slaughtered for food. They were there because they were being raised and bred so that they could be sacrificed. The whole purpose of their life was to be sacrificed at the end of a knife so that their blood could be shed for the sins of the Jews. And so this was going on on a regular basis. They would take the lambs because the lamb had to be perfect. They could not have a lamb that was not perfect. And so the priest would take every lamb and do a complete and total checkup on that lamb. They would look inside the mouth and the ears of the lamb. They would go all throughout the fleece to make sure there was nothing there. They would look at the hooves, the eyes, and even the eyelids of the lamb was examined. If there was any flaw, any blemish, any scratch, any bump, the lamb would be rejected and could not be used for the sacrifice of the sins of the people. He had to be in the eyes of the priest a perfect lamb. Only a perfect sacrifice would do. You know where I'm going with this. If a lamb had to be perfect before it could be sacrificed, then you know that God would not accept an imperfect sacrifice in his son Jesus Christ. Had there been any imperfection in Jesus, had there been any sin in Jesus whatsoever, if there had been anything that would have disqualified him, God would not have accepted Jesus as the sacrifice for the sin of the world. So when they hung him on the cross at Calvary, you can be sure that God was fully aware that his son was the perfect sacrifice and was capable and able to be substituted for our sins. That's the reason John the Baptist, when he saw him walking down the road, he looked and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is not just a Lamb of God. This is not just another great philosopher. This is not someone else that we can build a religious belief, belief system around. No, this man walking down this road uh, is the Lamb of God uh, who will be slain for the sins of this world. Jesus Christ. And one final thing this morning. Jesus is my personal Savior. I needed to be saved. Oh God, did I need to be saved. 
Listen, I was raised in the church. My mom and dad were, they put in over 60 years of ministry in the church. They raised my two sisters and me to believe in Jesus Christ. Listen, just because I went to church when I was a little kid, and because I know all the Bible stories and I knew all the songs, did not qualify me for salvation. Did not qualify me for heaven. There was only one thing that could do that. I needed a personal Savior. I needed someone who could pay the price for my sin. And in September of 1976, having heard all the gospel stories, I knew who Noah was. I knew who Abraham was. I know, knew who Jonah was. I knew who Paul and Peter and all the disciples were. I knew all the stuff. But I, what I did not have was the Spirit of God living and dwelling within me. Because although I had mouthed a few words at youth camp and places like that in the altar on Sunday nights, I had mouthed a few words, I never really gave my heart to Jesus Christ until September of 1976. And Dr. Bill Sheeks was preaching the fall revival at West Coast Bible College. I don't know what he said. I can't remember the message whatsoever. I don't, I don't have a clue what it was. All I knew is that there was a power drawing me into a relationship with Jesus Christ that I had never felt before in my life. Listen, you can't be manipulated into salvation. I, I've seen preachers try it. I, I've seen preachers try to make you cry and, and weep and, and feel manipulated into making some decision that you're not ready to make. But let me tell you, the only way that you're going to make it into a relationship with Jesus Christ is if the Holy Spirit draws you and convicts you of your sin and you realize that without Jesus Christ, I am a sinner on my way to hell. It doesn't matter if I go to church every Sunday of my life, I have to have Jesus living in my life. Look at verse 18, chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Look at the third phrase. For Christ also suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why would he do that? What's the purpose? It says... To bring you to God. That's the whole reason he did it. To bring you to God. He, he didn't do what he did so that you could have a gold-plated plated Cadillac sitting in your garage. <clears throat> he didn't do what he did so that you could have an air-conditioned dog house for your dogs. He didn't do what he did so that you could have millions of dollars saved up in your bank account. And if you do, praise the Lord for that. But he didn't do what he did so that we could have all these material blessings. You mean God doesn't want to bless us? Oh yeah, he wants to bless us. He wants to bless us and he will bless us. But that's not the primary thing in our life. I'm telling you the primary thing in our life is that we have a commitment to Jesus Christ that is above everything else. It's above our job. It's above, it's above our family. It's above, it, it's above our feel-good stuff. It's, a, it's a, above all of this natural stuff. Jesus, the poorest person that ever lived can make it into heaven if they have Jesus. The person who's never had a family in their life can make it to heaven if they have Jesus. It's not about how rich you are and how popular you are and about any of that. He died to be your Savior. I've heard people say, and they've said it to me, I don't need anybody to save me. You're deluded. 
we all need to be saved. And I'm thankful for those of you who sit in this body of believers today that you've already made up your mind that Jesus will be and is your Savior and that you're ready to go no matter what time of the day that it is, no matter when it is, you are ready to meet Jesus because you've taken care of that business. Jesus has brought us to God. You see, we need someone to bring us to God. The words to bring describes someone who has the authority to introduce you to a king or a ruler or to give you access to him. When Jesus started the process of dying on the cross, the veil in the temple was complete. It was in place. There was only so far that you could go but you could not enter into where the presence of God was. You needed somebody to get you to God. The priest couldn't do it because if the priest took you by the hand and went through that veil without the approval of God, he would have been struck dead and you would have been struck dead because you do not have access to the holy place where God dwelled. No human being could do that. If you just decided, I'm not going to let anybody tell me what I can and can't do, and I'm going in, I don't care who says what, I'm just going to do it because I'm a rebel at heart anyway, I'm going in there, you would have been sorry that you tried because the loving, gracious God is also the God of judgment, and he will judge our rebellion, and he will judge us if we turn away from him. There was no way to get into the presence of God through that veil. But then something was going on over here at Calvary. There were three men over there hanging on a cross. Two of them deserved their death. They were thieves. They were criminals. The third one that hung in the middle of them, Jesus, deserved nothing. They did not take his life they did not require his life. The Bible says that Jesus gave his life and laid it down for us. And one of them made fun of him. And one of them just let him know that he did not approve of him. But that other thief on that cross, he thought, this is the Son of God. And you know the conversation that they had together and Jesus looked over at him and he said, Today, you will be with me in paradise. He was saved at the last minute. I'm so thankful that he was willing to bring that thief to the presence of God. And here's what I was getting at. When Jesus died, when he said, It is finished, and he hung his head on that cross and died that veil that prevented you from going into the presence of God, into that holy place, tore from the top all the way down to the bottom and could be separated so that you and I and all the world who chooses to do so can march boldly into the throne of grace so that we can obtain mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. Let me tell you that because of Jesus Christ being our Savior, He has made it possible for our relationship with God the Father not not to be defined by our sin, but to be defined by our salvation, which was a free gift given to us by our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Somebody has to bring us to Jesus. And Jesus can bring us to God. I'm going to close with a story. It's a true story. As the musicians come... Many years ago, there was a man named Marcel Sternberger. He lived in Long Island, New York, and he had immigrated to the United States from Hungary, where he had been involved with all the atrocities of the war that had taken place there. And he came and immigrated here one day. Marcel, who was a very ritualistic kind of guy, he always did 
the same thing at the same time in the same way every day. He always did the same thing. Every morning of his life, he would check. He would get on the 902 train to downtown New York City, and he would go to his job and work and come back at the same time. But on January the 10th, 1948, Marcel decided that he was going to take the 12 o'clock train into New York because he had a friend that had fallen sick, and he wanted to go by and visit him and lay hands on him and pray for him. So instead of going at 9.02, he went at 12 o'clock. He went to get on the train that day, and there were no seats available. But as soon as the conductor said, we're getting ready to leave, a man jumped up and ran off of the train, leaving one seat available. Marcel went over there and sat down in that seat. And once he got situated, he looked over at the man that was sitting to his left. And he was reading a Hungarian newspaper. Marcel was from Hungary. And so in his native language, Marcel said to the man, can I read your newspaper? And the man who was also Hungarian looked at him with this shock and disbelief that a Hungarian was sitting by a Hungarian on the 12 o'clock train. So they started swapping stories about the war and, and this other man named Paskin told him that he had been in Auschwitz and he had survived but he when he was released he, he didn't want to stay in Hungary anymore so he came to the United States but before he did he went to his home where he was raised he was looking for his mom and dad to find out where they were and how they'd done and the neighbors they all said well they had been taken by the enemy and taken to Auschwitz and that they had all died at the hands of the dictator. Then he went to his home where his wife was, where he and his wife had shared an apartment together. She was not there and someone else was there and they said, well, she, she, she's gone. She's not dead. She survived, but nobody knows where she is. She's just gone. So on this train, on that particular day, Marcel looked at him and he remembered a chance meeting that he had had three days before of a young lady at a party that he had attended and she was from Hungary. And she told her story about living in this city in Hungary. And he wrote her name down and her address and her phone number because he was going to ask his wife to call her and invite her over to their house for dinner so that they could spend some time together as Hungarians there in New York City. And he remembered that. And at the next stop of the train, Marcel looked over at Paskin and he said, I need you to trust me. He said, but I need to get off of this train when it stops, and I want you to go with me. I have a very important phone call that I need to make. And they get off the train, and they go to the phone booth, and he raises it, and he gets the card out, and he calls the number of the young lady from Hungary that he had met three days earlier. And he said, this is Marcel Sternberger. You remember me? And she said, yes. I remember meeting you three days ago. Why are you calling? And he said, first of all, I need the address for the place that you lived at when you lived in Hungary. And she gave him the address. And he said, hold on. And he turned to Paskin and he said, I need the address of the place where you lived when you lived in Hungary. And Paskin gave him the, the address. And would you believe that it was the exact same address that the young lady had just given to Marcel. And then Marcel said, Ma'am, what was your name? She said, My name's Maria. Hold on. Said, What was your wife's name? Maria. He gets back on the phone and he says, What was your husband's name? She said, My husband's name was Bella. He cups the phone and turns to Paskin and says, what is your first name? And he said, Bella. And of course, he realized what was happening. 
that God was working a miracle right in their midst. And so he gets back on the phone and he said, Maria, there's a young man here by the name of Bella that I'd like for you to talk to. And he hands the phone to Bella and the two of them realize that husband and wife were both in the same city all those years later. And Sternberger had the address and he hailed a cab and he said, whatever it costs, whatever it takes, you take this man to that woman at this address so that they can be reunited. And the Paskin family was reunited. You say, no, pastor, you don't normally tell us stories like that. Why are you telling us this story? For two reasons. Number one, somebody here needs to know that God still works miracles. God is still able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power of God that works in us. He is able. I don't care what you're going through today. It doesn't matter if it's a sickness or an illness or a family problem or situation. Listen, you need to know that our God is still reigning on the throne and directs our paths and He is able to bring about the miraculous in your life if you need a miracle today. We're in all of true stories like that where God does the miraculous. We think that may be the greatest miracle I've ever heard of in my life. Let me tell you one better than that. A man named Jesus who had no reason to leave the riches and the glories of heaven. The Bible says that he was the lamb slain from the foundations of the earth. From the very beginning, before the earth was even created, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit had already agreed that Jesus Christ would come to this earth and give his life so that we all could be saved and washed clean from our sins. And the miracle is that Jesus was willing to come and to give his life for you and for me. So I don't know if that sounds like a miracle to me. Well, if you've ever experienced Jesus in a, in, a, in, a, in a relationship where you know that your sins have been forgiven, then you will know it is the greatest miracle that you'll ever experience in your life. Will you stand with me this morning? Close your eyes if you will. Give me just a moment to just ask if you're here today and you need to be saved. If you're here today and you want to take full advantage of what Jesus has done for you and to accept Him into your heart as Lord and Savior. I want you to be brave enough and bold enough to get out from your seat right where you are and come down here and let us take you to Jesus. Let us explain to you how you can become a Christian, a child of God, forgiven today. Is that you? Will you come? You said, Pastor, you know I've been coming to this church for a long time. I've been here for months on end. I come in here every Sunday morning, and you would have the nerve to ask me if I need to be saved. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would have the nerve. Because your salvation is of primary importance to me. It's more important than anything else that this church does is to bring you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. So is that you? So, well, I have to be an adult. I'm a young person. No. No, why not serve him now? 
Why, why not give your life to Jesus now? Maybe you're watching our live stream today. I've been noticing that we've been having people watching our live streams. I don't even know you, who you are. I, I know your name. I know that you've been getting on from week to week to week. I know you're there. But I don't know you. I haven't met you. But you're watching And I want to talk to you and just say the same thing is available for you today. Even though you're not in this building, Jesus is right where you are. And he loves you. And he gave his life for you. And if you'll just say, Lord, I believe you are who you say you are and that you did what you said you did. I may not understand all of the ifs and ands and buts and the explanations. But Lord, if you'll forgive me of my sins and come into my heart right now, you can be saved right now wherever you are. So let me pray for you, Father, in Jesus' name. Whether it be an individual in this house today or maybe some child that's in our children's church ministry today or possibly one of the teenagers that are meeting together in the back building with Pastor Matt. Lord, I I don't have to be there. They, They don't even have to have heard this sermon because your spirit is what will draw them. Lord, will you save them? Will you save them, Lord, and bring them into the kingdom of God? Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for giving your life for me. I'm so proud to be a son of God, an heir of God, a joint heir with you, Jesus. And I thank you for it. Amen and amen. Now look up here, if you will. I I know you folks, and I know that most of you, if not all of you, came into a relationship with Jesus Christ many, many years ago, and you've been serving Him faithfully. You say, why do you even preach messages like this? If you know that we're all saved, why do you do it? Here's why. We need to remind ourselves regularly of what Jesus has done for us. We can't ever lose focus on the fact that He is our Savior and what He did. He did for us. We're going to receive communion at this time. And I'm going to ask you, if you will, just to bring your communion elements to the front. We're going to stand together up front. And when we have completed the communion process, we're going to pray over these post-it notes that are here. I don't know. I've mislaid my communion somewhere. And I, I need one. If somebody will bring me one. There you go. We throw our communion around here. Taught my daughter well. She knows how to throw. You know, we'll never be able to pay Jesus for what he did for us. We'll never be able to do that. But you know what he really wants from us? He wants our worship. He wants our praise. He wants us to give Him the glory that is due His name. And when He met together with the disciples for the last time, He broke bread with them. And He told them this. He said, every time you do this, I want you to remember what I've done. I want you to remember. So it's important for us to remember Because with all the stuff that's going on in our lives and around this world, if we're not careful, if we don't intentionally stop to remember what Jesus has done, it'll just pass us by. So we meet together in a setting like this and we receive communion so that we can let him know that we have not forgotten what he has done for us. And we are forever grateful. So if you will, just take the bread. He had the bread and he broke it and gave it to them. And he said, take and eat this bread, which represents my body. It was broken for you. 
And in like manner, Scripture tells us that he took the cup. And he said, drink this cup and remember my blood was shed for you. Receive the cup. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. They're going to sing for us in a minute, and we're going to pray for these post-it notes that are on this altar. Next week, we're going to remove these post-it notes from this altar, and we're going to put them in a container, and we're going to offer them up to the Lord. The Lord directed me to do this several weeks ago. I've never done it before. I just felt led to do it. By taking their names off of this altar, we're not saying, well, it's over for them. We're not ever praying for them again. No, it's more of a signal to God that we are taking their names off the altar and we are raising them and lifting them up to you, knowing that you are well able to do what needs to be done in their lives. We're not giving up on them at all. In fact, if anything, we're taking them out of our realm and putting them into the realm of the Spirit. And we're going to believe that God's going to save them. He's going to bring our prodigals home. He's going to bring our family members into a relationship with Him. I believe it. I believe we're going to begin to see it. In Jesus' name. I believe it. So for those of you who are up close, just come closer. Lay your hands upon these. Just come on in. Just lay your hands on the shoulder of the person in front of you if you need to do that. And let's just pray together in Jesus' name. Father, I come to you right now in Jesus' name thanking you for the privilege of prayer. I'm so happy for what you've done in my life. And I'm so grateful that I have been saved and bought with your price. I'm so thankful that you substituted yourself for me. I'm so thankful for the sacrifice that you made on my behalf. I'm so thankful that you laid down your body so that it could be broken for our healing, for our forgiveness. I'm so thankful, Lord, that you shed your blood so that it could remove the stain of our sin. And now, Lord, we lay our hands upon these post-it notes that represent our loved ones. We've been praying over them now for several weeks. We continue to ask you, minister to them, speak to them, or come to where they are. Send someone to them that can bring them to God, that can bring them to you. I pray for these individuals that are standing in this altar this morning. And they're praying with me, Lord. I pray that you would anoint them and allow them to speak the words of hope at the time when it can be received and at a time when they can accept you as Savior. Lord, if there are other needs that are represented here, I pray that you'll meet those needs. You can meet all of our needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray for these who are here today, that you would anoint them. I don't know why, Lord, but I'm, I'm feeling just directed to pray for the young adults in our church that they would have courage to speak about you, to say what needs to be said in a moment that it needs to be said that they will speak freely and with boldness to their friends, even though they know that there may be some in the group that will make fun of them. They may tell them that they're crazy. Now, you can't believe that kind of nonsense, can you? Not in a world like today. Lord, let them be convinced that you are still the answer for the world today and that through their words and through their prayers, their friends and their loved ones can be saved and begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think what they'll find, Jesus, and I know this is true, 
that even though it may be hard to do, they will be so glad they did once they realize that their friends aren't going to look down on them, they're going to respect them for the decision that they have made to allow you to be Lord of their lives. And so I thank you now for hearing our prayer. We've asked it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Sing for us, Justin. Oh, the blood, crimson love. As you're going back to your seats, just take a moment and let's worship listen, we're not going to leave him in a grave. We're not going to leave him there because next week when you come and hopefully bring someone with you, we're going to talk about how he got up out of that grave and how that he lives forevermore. He's alive and well. Aren't you glad for that? God bless you. Thank you for coming this morning. I'll see you Wednesday night.